Did, did anybody try um, doing the breath counting during that first practice? Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess um, it's a, a topic which is often debated in, in Zen as to the balance between concentration practice and uh, what we might call open awareness practice. Um, they both have their advantages and disadvantages and I guess trying to get a balance between the two as in most of Buddhism is the best. Um, the, uh, the Soto school of Zen um, and uh, Hector's from the Soto school of Zen um, puts a lot of emphasis on what is called just sitting or shikantaza which is the open awareness practice. Um, and, um, but in all, in, 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 you know, to practice shikantaza does require a certain degree of stability and concentration. And um, because if we don't have that, the, the shikantaza or just sitting can turn into a very uh, a dreamy-like state sometimes, um, where we um, uh, lose our ability to stay present. And, um, but the advantage of shikantaza are just sitting, because it's open and we're not focused on that particular point, is that we're open to whatever's arising in the moment. And, uh, and whatever that, whatever's arising in the moment is our practice. And um, that's a really good practice to take into our everyday life. On the other hand, with the a concentration practice, uh, which is often emphasized in the Rinzai school, uh, often starting with breath counting, where we're training ourselves to bring our mind back to that particular point. Uh, and in breath counting, it's just one. Just two. And when we're doing that practice, we can see how easily our mind wanders away and we, 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 we actually um, no longer remember ourselves and we, we drift off and then, ah, oh, then come back to the counting again. Did you experience that at all, anybody? Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that's one of the nice things about the breath counting is that it can show us how much we can get caught in daydreams and be wandering off. Um, and uh, in Rinzai practice, sometimes the, that particular f- style then can be used in koan practice where you might just focus on a particular one word like mu and you just focus on mu like that. Um, now again, one of the advantages of that kind of practice is it can take us very deep um, and very focused and on the other hand, one of the disadvantages is um, if, if, we're, if we're too concentrated and too focused, sometimes that can act as a, it can actually um, block out uh, uh, other stuff that might be there. And um, uh, so um, the uh, Joko's emphasis was more to the open awareness practice, but uh, it's okay to practice some concentration to begin with if it just helps to settle us down. And uh, practice the concentration practice with a certain lightness to it. We don't have to be really, really, but like concentrated but aware and open as well. 
and um, and whatever arises can be our, our our focus. So the sound of the birds, the sound of the car, the sensations that we're experiencing. As long as we're bringing ourselves back to the direct experience, what Joko called experiencing, as opposed to thinking, the physicality of experiencing, then the sound of the bird, the sound of the car, the sensations in the body are just as effective as using uh, counting or, or, or a coin. What I wanted to talk about today was uh, I was going to, last, last week in Sortel I talked about forgiveness practice and I was, going, I was going to continue today with talking about the letting go of anger precept but uh, when I sat down yesterday, yesterday afternoon to make some notes I, I decided to step back a little bit and um, I guess look a little bit more about the, in more general terms, about the process of practice. Um, which can sometimes be um, referred to as integration. Um, Joko would always often emphasize integration as being the, the, the stage of practice most of us are going to be practicing for most of our lives. Um, and that is the, the integration of our personality uh, into being a more harmonious whole. And um, so um, working um, the, that's why the Ordinary Mind Zen School often calls itself a psychologically minded Zen practice because um, rather than um, really um, having a goal and having some kind of Kensho or enlightenment experience, when those experiences happen, they may not be that effective if we haven't done the long hard work of integration. So just because someone may have an enlightened experience doesn't mean to say that uh, uh, it's going to be necessarily beneficial unless one has done the personal work of integration. There were a number of teachers who may have had enlightened experiences who engaged in inappropriate uh, alcohol use or inappropriate sexual behaviours. This was one of the reasons why Jacob Beck stressed this. There's a famous line from uh, Dogen, the founder of the Sota school, uh, from the Genjo Koan, or actualizing the fundamental point, and uh, which goes, to study the way of enlightenment is to study the self. To study the self is to forget the self. To forget the self is to be actualized by a myriad things. When actualized by a myriad things, your body and mind, as well as the bodies and minds of others, drop away. So the, the latter half of that uh, uh, statement is um, when bodies and minds drop away, that's an experience of oneness. It's a kind of uh, opening experience. What we're, what we are focusing on most of the time is just the first sentence. To study the way of enlightenment is to study the self. And that's where we must start, and that's where we, we stay for, for many years. And um, so, for example, when we start to study the self, we become uh, aware of our, 
our thoughts and emotions. And we often use the word I. We say, I am hearing, I am seeing, I am feeling. I like this, I dislike that. I am stupid, I am great. Uh, And before practicing Zen or before investigating this I, um, most of us have a kind of sense of the the I referring to some kind of permanent uh, uh, entity called the self or some underlying self. It's true that we do need to have the illusion of a continuity of self um, and identity to function as human beings, but when we take up this kind of practice and investigate, then we do see that there's, um, in fact, um, many more than one I that's going on. In fact, um, there was a, um, I don't know if any of you are familiar with the work of Gurdjieff, but one of his students called Ospensky, he was writing back in the beginning of the 20th century, uh, wrote this um, quote, this is from Ospensky, 1920 or something, from his book, The Fourth Way. This is our chief illusion, for the principal mistake we make about ourselves is that we consider ourselves one. We always speak about ourselves as I, and we suppose that we refer to the same thing all the time, when in reality we are divided into hundreds and hundreds of different I's. At one moment when I say I, one part of me is speaking, and at another moment when I say I, it is quite another I speaking. We do not know that we have not one I, but many different I's, connected with our feelings and desires, and have no controlling I. These eyes change all the time. One suppresses another, one replaces another, and all this struggle makes up our inner life. So when we start to study ourselves, and uh, for example, one of Joko's uh, uh, would encourage students to label their thoughts on a regular basis, notice our self-centered reactions in our daily life, we begin to see that we're at, we are many eyes, or in more contemporary language, many different self-states. That the eye that we wake up with in the morning is not necessarily the eye that we go to work with, or the eye that we go to bed with. And um, this understanding of the personality is now quite widespread in contemporary psychology, particularly in contemporary psychotherapy, in all the different schools, whether it's uh, psychoanalysis, um, which is very much now the dominant paradigm is about multiple self-states, or even with CBT tradition, with schema therapy, and uh, and other systems such as internal family systems and resource therapy. So we're now beginning to understand that our personality is made up of different parts. And this fits very well with, you know, traditional Buddhist psychology, which has always pointed this out, that there's no inherent permanent self underneath the constant shifting, changing emotions and thoughts and feelings that we experience. For example, um, you've probably come across in Buddhist literature, you know, this notion of different realms or domains, the, the hell realm or the 
the realm of the hungry ghosts or the human realm, etc. Rather than seeing them as mythological, we can basically see that idea as being how we we move through different self-states throughout the day. Some self-states can be a bit hellish at times and others can be quite joyful. And um, so it's kind of like we're continuously born, reborn into these different self-states. And we can reinterpret samsara as being this never-ending cycling through our different self-states. And this is the the self-centered dream that we are committed to awakening from. So the path of enlightenment starts with the path of psychological integration. And uh, one of the ways Joker talked about that was realizing the oneness of mind and body. And that's why she put a lot of emphasis on what she called experiencing. When we just come back, if, we've, if there's an upset happening, come back to the physical sensations of the upset. And uh, so the more we're able to return to direct experiencing, we're shifting away from getting identified with the thoughts which generate a lot of the intensity of the emotions. Thoughts, judgments, etc. So when, uh, when Joko says, when mind and body are one, uh, we are not constantly being pulled this way and that way, back and forth. Um, so what the process of integration is about is, is really starting to get, up, get to know ourselves, get to know all our different parts, and um, start to harmonize them uh, within our inner life. And, uh, and as that as that work continues, then maybe at times we get to experience a little bit more inner peace. Um, integration doesn't necessarily mean fusion, but it, it means coming to realize our different parts as resources. Um, there's a couple of metaphors that we can use. Um, so, for example, um, we can use the metaphor of a sailing boat. and. Um, we can, um, the sailing boat can be uh, in a state of relative disintegration, can be subject to just drifting um, without a rudder or just be um, basically being hijacked by our different parts. And um, some of these parts, if they're, if they're traumatized parts, can uh, you know, act out in very harmful ways and uh, they, can, uh, they can sink our, our boat or certainly can, upturn up, our boat, or get our boat into lots of difficulties. And um, so in a sense we can get carried away the, the, the winds of our moods or the winds of our whims can just take us in different directions. And um, um, or you know the, and, uh, so the idea is well how do we can, how can we introduce some kind of steering mechanism to the boat? Now, the sense in which we have to have some kind of some kind of captain who's navigating the boat, and uh, who uh, centres in on the values that we hold that we want to hold in our life and starts to steer the boat in that direction. Another metaphor would be a football team. So you have all the different players are all different parts of ourselves, but in order for those players to work well together as a team, 
then you need some kind of coach on the sideline who's observing all of that. Um, so in a way, uh, in our practice, um, in order to um, start to study ourselves, we, we cultivate our inherent ability to observe ourselves. So we start to cultivate that sense of the inner observer or the inner witness. And uh, it's that, um, that uh, ability to do that that can bring about a way of relating to all our different parts with a sense of acceptance and understanding. And we can work with our different parts. And over time, we can cultivate that, uh, that observer that can become the sort of center that we can create, which is our center of compassion and wisdom, uh, which can uh, give our sense of our life moving in the direction that we're no longer sort of, um, you know, just pushed around by our emotions. That, um, you know, when we get up in the morning and we wake up with the eye that's saying, I don't really feel like sitting today, or the eye which says, you know what, that Zen stuff's useless. Um, rather than getting identified with and caught, caught within that particular part, you can actually observe it and give it a label and, and, um, and then go and sit. And this is, this is, I guess, the way in which we you know, develop, our, develop our willpower as well. So we have to cultivate that observer self. And uh, over time, it, it develops a sense of inner leader or inner teacher, the sense in which we start to develop a sense of having our own inner leader or inner teacher. And um, so uh, another way is, or another metaphor that's um, used by Philip Bromberg, a contemporary analyst, um, is to think of consciousness as a kind of stage. And um, so the curtain opens and the lights come on when we wake up in the morning, and uh, we have our different parts who are vying to be centre stage. Um, but we can observe that happening, and uh, we can start to work with those parts. Sometimes you might have two parts in conflict with each other, you know, and so on. And so we get this feeling of how our inner life is composed of this community of different inner self-states. And, um, and we start to we start to work with that, and um, and one of the things that we uh, one of the great things about upsets, uh, whatever whatever form an upset can take, uh, it often activates parts within us that may have been around a long time that are still holding on to hurts or traumas from the past, you know. People can often experience those as being more of a childlike state or more of an adolescent state. And um, if, if, we, if we fall asleep and if, if, and if we're not aware that these parts can sometimes take us over and we can end up saying things or doing things that we might regret later on. Uh, we might, we might, uh, the the behaviours might take the form of um, going on a binge in reaction to something. So, like, our, our binge part has taken over. So this process of integration takes a long time, because it takes a long time to get to know all our different parts. <coughs> and um, 
And so the foundation for this kind of work um, in, uh, in Buddhism is a um, thing called the seven factors of enlightenment. And the first three factors are probably the foundations for cultivating our ability to do this kind of work. Um, the first one's mindfulness, and the second one's the investigation of phenomena or inquiry into what is this. And the third one is the development of willpower or effort, diligence, perseverance. So, um, you know, mindfulness uh, helps us to observe ourselves. In fact, the, uh, the original meaning of the word mindfulness comes from just remembering ourselves. And uh, so we start to practice our mindfulness and ob observing our different functions, whether that be just the uh, instinctive functions, though, you know, observing or you know, being with all our senses, being mindful of all our senses, our body being mindful of movement, like we do when we're doing a walking meditation, and how we can take that mindfulness of movement into our everyday life as well. And mindfulness of our thinking mind, and mindfulness of our feelings and emotions. So we start to practice that. And uh, in doing that, the mindfulness increases our ability to inquire into and uh, like Joko was saying in, in the little practice reading, uh, as, we, as we improve in our, in our ability to be mindful and to inquire, we start to get some insight into those upsets. So that the, an upset that might last for months <laughs> or days, uh, we start to see how it's, uh, we, get, we get closer and closer to being able to observe it arising in the moment and catching it before it gets, takes us over. And, um, and so the more we do this practice, the more we develop our capacity for will and the more we develop the capacity for diligence and discipline. Uh, and uh, another, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese teacher, um, talks about using just the natural events of um, the natural sounds of whenever it's the sound of the birds or cars or the ringing of the cell phone. Um, to use all these sounds as reminders to, to wake up, to be mindful, to come to, to, remi to remember ourselves. <clears throat> so even in doing things like concentration practice, like the breath counting, when you just come back to the breath, or you come back to the, the count, or you, you're coming back, bringing yourselves present again, that's all developing that will, the capacity, the capacity to, to, to be here, to be awake. So after many years of that, over time, slowly, we start to be able to have more sense of our inner life working together as a team, where the, the parts that we can, we can use as resources, you know, and uh, so that, uh, you know, we might have a confident part that and we can encourage and that when we need our confidence. Or we might have a, um, a very um, creative part that we use to play and engage in creativity. Or we might have our kind of occupational part, the role that we do when we're you know, being a Zen teacher or being a school teacher and so on. And we, uh, we draw upon all these different parts as resources. 
And uh, the more we do that, the, and the more we start to have, we, 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 we develop that sense of the, the inner teacher um, and um, the inner leader. Um, and the, the, the will that we develop slowly moves, from a, moves us away from self-centered preoccupations more into, more into a life-centered direction. And, um, and that process is never-ending and goes on and goes on and expands. And the more and more life-centered we become, the more we uh, start to become aware of our life being about service to others. So that's kind of like another way of looking at the, the process of Zen practice. It's about doing that really hard work of getting to know ourselves, getting to know all our different parts, and still we can start to have that sense of our inner life working together as a team in the service of the Dharma. Okay. I'll leave it at that for today. <laughs>